Are you that weirdo looking to swipe right on an extraterrestrial? Well, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. Hi, welcome or welcome back. Maybe you thought we might have been abducted by aliens. We could have. Maybe we were. (laughs) But we're back now. So welcome to a new episode. Thank you so much for joining us for Happy Hour. Um, Yes. And you know what? Maybe we were abducted because I just forgot to introduce myself and (laughs) I feel so stupid. My name is Cassie. (laughs) And I'm Tiffany. (laughs) And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird. Okay, so today, if you're new, you will come to learn that we drink a cocktail with every episode, and today we are drinking a peach amaretto sour, and it's a bittersweet love letter to the end of peach season, which ended last month, but you can still technically get good peaches until October, Mm -hmm. but it was a good season this year, so I wanted to make a peach-inspired drink to honor it. Delicious. I love peach. Mm, Me too. And I haven't had or made a good amaretto sour in a long time. I forgot how delicious they are. When we did that Di Sirono sour, it Mm. changed my life Mm -hmm. and my opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, I've only ever known uh, like my grandparents to drink Di Sirono or almond Mm -hmm. liqueur. And I think maybe... The older you get, the wiser you get because it's delicious. It is on the sweeter side, but if you pair it with something savory or bourbon or lemon juice, it kind of, it just is so good. So Mm -hmm. we have amaretto in this cocktail, peach infused bourbon, which I did with a fresh peach a couple days ago, delicious, brown sugar syrup lemon juice and then per usual drink picks and recipe on our instagram i would go so far as to say it is out of this world i see what you did there mm-hmm. and i like it <laughs> are you ready to get into our episode i'm so ready well since cassie took the reins on our last huge two episode series mm-hmm. i thought that i would kind of um be in charge of the overall reading today But Cassie, jump in, because I know that you also researched this topic (laughs) yourself. Today we are talking about a UFO sighting. You know Tiffany would bring it there. She would go straight to UFOs. (laughs) And I love that. Fucking palate cleanser after, oh, that was, that was, I'm still sad. I'm still upset about it. But today we're talking about UFOs. So it's about to get a little convoluted and a lot of fun. Get in, loser. We're going to Australia. Yeah. Oh, I have a joke for you. What do you call a kangaroo that can talk? What? A quantum leap. That's very cute. I used to call that show Quantum's Leap. I love that show, man. And my stepsister would get mad at me because it's Quantum Leap, but I don't, I didn't understand what it meant. So I thought the guy's name was like Quantum's and he was leaping to another time. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I still don't understand what Quantum Leap means. (laughs) Maybe I still don't understand it. That's fine. It's good. Uh, That was a great show, though. It was. 
All right, well, let's get back to this topic because as they say in Australia, we didn't come here to fuck spiders. I mean, maybe you didn't. Okay. (laughs) My main source is Westall 66, A Suburban UFO Mystery, which is a documentary. It is hosted and investigated by Shane Ryan and directed by Rosie Jones. And I'll be, if I say during this reading, the doc, this is what I'm referring to. I also read a bunch of articles that will be linked and mentioned throughout the episode and a few different news outlets on YouTube and Wikipedia. And I read some interview transcripts. I am in this deep people. (laughs) Our story takes place on April 6th, 1966 in Melbourne, Australia. Specifically at what was called the Westall High School and is now the Westall Secondary College. The school is technically located in a suburb of Melbourne called Clayton South. Westall High is surrounded by pretty flat land and the coast is um, around six miles southwest. Just to the south of the school was a place called the Grange Reserve, which was mostly trees and tall grass Beyond that, a flat grassy field. The area has since changed as this was 50 years ago. It sounds quite beautiful. A beautiful place to go to school and live, actually. It does. And the Grange was a pretty um, special place. The kids would do different like running events there or just go there and play. It, like I said, it was like lightly wooded, grassy. Just a kind of a neat place to have. And then also not too far from the coast. It does sound pretty magical. Mm-hmm. So that day in April 1966 was a pretty typical day for students, but that was all about to change. Very suddenly, a group of students saw something strange. In the sky, above the school grounds, the students, preteens and young teens, saw what they described as a flying saucer. And the kids kind of lost their shit. (laughs) One child ran into a nearby classroom and yelled that there was a flying saucer. Then, within moments, the bell rang for recess. Kids ran outside, pretty freaked out, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. One of the teachers on campus had the presence of mind to grab her camera, and she began taking photos. The kids ran over to an area of the school grounds that they called the Oval and watched the UFO move away. So it started kind of overhead, Mm -hmm. and then the kids were running around kind of yelling, being excited, and then the UFO moved away. The craft rose and then landed somewhere behind the Grange. This area, as we described, had the trees, brush, tall grasses. So the UFO passed over the Grange and then landed in the back portion of it behind some tall trees. Oh, Yeah, so it lowered and just kind of disappeared in the back end of the Grange. Some of the kids took off towards it, of course. I mean, obviously. Yeah, there's always going to be that group, right? (laughs) Yeah. But before the kids got there, or at least before most of the kids got there, the craft rose back up into the air, and very suddenly, once again, military aircraft approached the UFO. (gasps) So one of the students that was in this group giving chase to the ufo apparently got there before anybody else and when they found her she had fainted oh my goodness and the story goes that the girl was taken 
in an ambulance from the school, moved and never seen again. What? Yeah, that was the story. Um, On one of the news programs that we watched, they talked about how one of the girl's friends went to go check on her after and a stranger answered the door that was not the girl's parents and said that they didn't live there. That's right. And she was like, nobody by this name lives here. And she was like, okay, but it wasn't the first time I went to the house. I've been over here and played here many times. This is Mm -hmm. her house. That is so bizarre. Yeah. Another child that was there that day later claimed he saw two UFOs. Um, he saw them land, and he claims that he was within, within feet of them. Oh. And I'm not sure exactly where this fits into the timeline. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he was out there earlier and saw them before they took off over the Grange or if it was after. It's hard to say. This did happen 50 years ago, mm-hmm. and some of the people's stories have some overlap and some discrepancies, as these things do, uh, which I'll kind of get into the discrepancies as we go. But um, I believe this was supposed to be at the beginning before the UFOs moved into the Grange. But I could be wrong. Like I said, he was one of the people interviewed on the Westall 66 doc. The interviews kind of bounced around. Either way, at this point, numerous children have seen at least one, maybe up to three, unidentified flying objects over their school and behind the Grange. And then a little group of rebels decided to jump a fence and go investigate, which I don't know. I'm trying to think, would I be in that group of rebels? Probably. I would be. I would probably be the girl that just vanished. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder I wonder if how much truth there is to that story, if it's one of those rumors that got out of hand. I, It just, it does make it. A little spookier. I would probably like flirt inappropriately with the ETs and they get uncomfortable and leave. <laughs> You're the reason why they left so fast. Yes. They were going to stay, but Cassie made it weird. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Greenwood, the school science teacher, was immediately alerted when this all started. He is one of the few adults on campus that saw something and is willing to speak about it. He described that he saw something beyond the trees, beyond the tall pine trees at the Grange, a silvery streak with other aircrafts around it. He described the silvery streak and the military aircraft as playing a game of cat and mouse for several minutes. The silvery craft flew at incredible speeds, eluding the military craft following it. And then the UFO was gone. As I mentioned, accounts vary, but the number of witnesses ranges anywhere from 100 to over 300. Another point that differs is the number of UFOs, like I said. So some people say that they saw one. Other people say they saw three. It does get a little bit convoluted. (laughs) I warned you. But this is kind of the way these, I mean, this is the way every story like this kind of goes. But it's also the way memory often works. If a story is too perfect, it usually means it's been rehearsed, Mm -hmm. is my understanding. And a lot of times when people, when groups of people experience something, the stories never perfectly line up. No. It, like you said, it would be, I think it would be more suspicious if they mm-hmm. all had the same exact story. Because kids are coming outside at different times. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to see it at the same, some kids are just going to focus on one. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, some people are chasing after them. Some people aren't. Some people are in different parts of the campus. I mean, there's just a lot going it on. It sounds actually like total chaos. It does. <laughs> I mean, I can totally picture this. The kids running around screaming. The one teacher who's just taking pictures. The other teacher just chain smoking. <laughs> like, it's just, there's a lot. There's a lot happening. The principal apparently hiding inside, which we'll get to later. But <laughs> apparently the principal literally would not come outside. Okay. I mean, just you're supposed also, to be the leader here. Okay. So that, well, Mr. <laughs> Greenwood, the science teacher, sounds kind of like a stand-up guy because he was like, he remained calm because they, apparently a, a girl ran into his classroom and just said, a flying saucer or UFO. There, yeah. there, and then he held his composure for a, a 10 or so minutes before the recess bell rang. And then he went outside to kind of look around and investigate. So I feel like he has just the right amount of like, okay, everyone remain calm, but also, mm-hmm. holy shit, that's a UFO. Yeah. And also, as you know, somebody has to be the adult there. Right. Clearly not the principal. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> doesn't sound like the principal. Just not the principal. So whatever, however many UFOs were there, however many people saw something, something was there. Something happened that day. Absolutely. This sighting came to be known as the Westall UFO or the Westall 66. So after a UFO or two or three (laughs) buzzed a school and then landed in a nearby field, was chased by military planes and then bam, took off. The school received some not so alien visitors. Dun dun dun. And these are the real bad guys of the story. <laughs> <laughs> the military and the media showed up. What a shit show. <laughs> so I don't know the timeline for how soon media became aware of the story, but on one of the interviews, um, it was claimed that the military was there within like 30 minutes. Jeez. Which is real quick. Yeah. A student on the Westall 66 stock described seeing a man in uniform in a confrontation with that teacher that I mentioned who had taken pictures. The teacher's entire camera was confiscated by the uniform man, according to this story. So not just the film. What? The guy's like, I don't know how cameras work. I have to take the whole thing. <laughs> a news reporter came and began interviewing students, but someone from the school intervened and sent the students inside. Uh, one of the students claimed she was given detention after her story was published in a local <gasps> paper, which one, it's rude, but two, also, I don't think you should just be allowed to interview underage children. Yeah. And I'm sorry, did that, did, I mean, I can't, I don't think you can get detention on a school campus from something you did off campus. I don't think so. I think you're right. When, when, I was in high school. The boys got in trouble for boxing on school campus, like for fun mm-hmm. with boxing gloves that somebody found in their garage. Mm-hmm. So then they just crossed the street and then they <laughs> boxed right there. And then we just watched from campus so they couldn't get in trouble. So I think that's shows that you're right. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. They couldn't go like one street p- past that. <laughs> oh, they wanted no. to put on a show. Yeah. They oh. wanted everybody to see. Okay. I see. I see. So I agree. I don't think you can get detention, but the whole point was you were not supposed to talk about it. But also, I it is funny to think of the news just interviewing like 12-year-olds and not thinking like, we should ask their parents first. Yeah, and also, sounds like the military has a mole in the school. 
Oh my god! Or the, it's probably the hall monitors. The men in black have a mole working. It's the in hall the monitors for sure. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh my god, Cassie, were you a hall monitor? No. Did you even have hall monitors? Um, no. But I def- if we did, I definitely would not be one. I would be the person hiding from the hall monitor. I would have been a hall monitor if it would have meant I could skip class. I just skipped class just because no one could stop me. Yeah, I did too. And we didn't have hall monitors. But my school I, was I didn't do anything bitty. bad. What did you do when you skipped class? Because I went to the Chinese buffet. In high school? Mm-hmm. I'd go to the park and do bad things. Oh, okay. Then. Well, I was very innocent, <laughs> innocently skipping you were class. You just at a buffet. I was just at a Chinese buffet. <laughs> With like senior citizens that didn't have work. <laughs> yeah, it was just me and my one friend that could drive. And we would just jump the back fence. And uh, or sometimes we would just boldly walk to our car like we knew, like we, like we, you know how when you walk, like you have a, a destination yeah. in mind. Like mm-hmm. we would just mm-hmm. do that. No one would question us. Some, one time we went through the back of the school, but yeah, we, 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 we gave that Chinese buffet a lot of business. Um, you are a rebel. <laughs> with Chinese the cause. buffet rebel. I'm a rebel with the cause. And it is Mushu pork. <laughs> it is Chinese buffet. <laughs> oh my God. Ugh. I'm not even going to say all the bad things I did because I don't want a recorded record of it. <laughs> um, so the science teacher, again, Mr. Green, that we keep talking about, uh, he, allegedly he was told that he had to remain quiet about the incident. His teaching career was basically threatened. He was told he would be discredited and called an alcoholic oh. if he spoke about it. Okay, well, that's a low blow. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I don't, so Greenwood, Mr. Greenwood did speak with Shane Ryan from the documentary, but he wouldn't go, he wouldn't be recorded for it. He just spoke off air. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprised he did that because he was interviewed soon after the event. And about a year ago, he did an interview with an Australian news source. Mm. So he was interviewed by other people, but I think that this time with the Australian news, the the year old interview, I believe that was the first time he was actually videotape recorded talking about it. I mean, they didn't have like NDAs in 66. It was just like your career's over and you're an alcoholic. Well, he said that government officials basically were like, you must have been drunk on duty if you think you saw something and you're only a first year teacher. So... This could be very bad for your reputation if that got out. Okay. What, what does the military care if fucking Mr. Greenwood thinks he saw a UFO? I thought you were going to say, what does the military care if Mr. Greenwood's drunk while <laughs> teaching? I mean, that's a good point, too. Don't you have bigger fish to fry? So today we we're talking about the solar system, guys. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? He mixes up like the frogs and the turtle dissection day. He puts the planets out of order <laughs> that nobody knows anyway. Maybe uh, no, you shouldn't be. You should not be drunk while teaching. No, absolutely not. This is what, but, a satirical yeah, podcast. Right. <laughs> the military should have bigger fish to fry, but Mr. Greenwood allegedly, if you know, seeing UFOs or allegedly being drunk on campus, like none of these. This is all a lot to put on yeah. one teacher at a small school. Yeah. Oh, poor Mr. Greenwood. Mr. Greenwood is the hero of this story, by he the way. He probably, after the military threatened him, probably did start drinking. I mean, I would. For stress. I probably, if I was Mr. Greenwood, 
I would probably already be drinking on campus. But that is, <laughs> it's 66. It was a different time. It's a drink. We're on a drinking <laughs> podcast right now. Um, and Mr. Greenwood looked like a baby. In the, it was literally his first year teaching when this happened. So they showed a picture of him, like a school picture, and he looked like a child himself. He's so young, obviously. I'm sure he was probably very, very scared with that veiled threat. Yeah, I would be. After the incident, the principal had an assembly and told the students that what they had seen was a weather balloon and kind of wanted everybody to drop okay. it. Okay, I think we just discovered who the mole was. We Nobody saw the principal and the UFO at the same time. So you're saying the principal was the UFO? Maybe the extraterrestrials <laughs> had a mole and it was the principal. <laughs> Usually when people say we've never seen them at the same time, it means they're the same person. <laughs> He's an actual UFO, not an alien. He's an actual UFO. <laughs> okay. Because they're biological. It wasn't the military that had a mole. It wasn't the entire government that had a mole. It was actually the extraterrestrials that had a mole. Like a beauty mark mole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fishy. That is fishy that the principal would tell every... I mean, I guess for like chaos control, but it is fishy that the principal would tell everybody basically gaslight an entire school of children Mm -hmm. and teachers like yeah you didn't think what you saw you you thought you saw (laughs) gaslighting myself you didn't see what you think you saw yes it was a weather balloon yes yeah so he told everybody to drop it and they did it was briefly in the papers and news but then the story kind of fizzled out it was squashed an interesting little sidebar about the news aspect of this. So the doc I watched tried to pull the reel from the Channel 9 News mm-hmm. from their interview that they did. And Ryan found the 3x5 card and like the index card saying where the reel was. Yeah. And went in the warehouse. It's like this whole scene. He pulls the real canister empty. <gasps> okay. It's giving cover up. Like this is fishy. This is fishy. Yeah, it's it's strange. And another strange thing is so a lot of so people describe the military people that came to the school different ways at different times. Some people said that they saw military uniforms and some people say that they saw men in black <gasps> suits. Oh, what if they are one in the same? They're working together on this <sighs> one cuz so many people saw it. Yeah, and I could I mean, I can kind of see the principal being like, hey, this is getting out of hand. Like, I just want to teach students the alphabet. Mm-hmm. And all everybody talks about is the sighting, like, day after yeah. day for weeks. I, I totally get that. But at the same time, I don't know. It seems weird, Did, obviously. I have a question, and I don't know if you know this or not. Did mm-hmm. we ever find out whose military it was was it the australian military was it the like not to be like a self-centered american but was it the united states military so i can actually answer that which is rare (laughs) some of them said that they saw um australian air force some of them specifically say like i believe mr green said specifically australian air force later on i will mention um kids seeing people in Kids and adults seeing military trucks and uniforms on the Westall 66 dock. The investigator spoke with a military historian, and he said based on the description of the uniforms and trucks at that time, he thought that those were U.S. Air Force. 
Okay, so maybe it was a team up with the Australian yes. and the United States Air Force. Like the two Air Force combined. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. I could see that happening. Yeah, and we had people stationed everywhere at that time. It was the 60s, so we were just, you know. I mean, we always have people everywhere. So, the Westall UFO story doesn't end there. Because more than just students and teachers saw something that day. After all, this is a suburban school. There were other houses and people around that area. A gardener named Paul Smith was at a nearby market garden that day and also saw something strange in the sky. He thought it was somehow a projection at first. I guess it just seemed too bizarre to be real. His boss also saw it. The men stopped what they were doing and watched the craft together for several minutes. Well, you know what they always say? The gardener always tells the truth. I'll always believe the gardener. Always believe the gardener. Just based on that, it's true, in my opinion. Just based on that, it's true. There was also a group of older teens that were not on campus that day. And they were, I think they were just kind of walking down the road at the same time that Paul and his uh, employer were watching the craft. Mm -hmm. So the group of teens approached the two older men. And just kind of stopped and watched as well. Yeah. As suddenly as it appeared, the UFO flew off. Paul Smith also described seeing men in military trucks and uniforms drive past in the direction of the craft. Hmm. Others at the scene also claimed to see the military investigating. A couple of trucks went to the field behind the Grange and used what looked like a metal detector on the ground there. Later, kids said that they went back to the area of the field after the military had left. And that area of the grassy field, all of the grass had been cut and partially burned. The man said it looked like somebody was trying to destroy evidence. Hmm. Like like there had been evidence of something landing there that they had tried to get rid of. Okay, so like the craft had caused a certain... Like pattern, pattern or, or mark, striation uh-huh. or whatever in the grass, and they just were like, "Burn it all!" Uh huh. Because okay. that was the back part of the grange where the the UFO landed. Or UFOs had kind of disappeared behind the trees. Behind the trees, yeah. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, and it does make it feel very cover upish. Mm-hmm. That's the vibe that you get from a lot of the articles that I read, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it is an alien extraterrestrial thing. It could be some sort of a military thing, but either way, covering it up makes it seem uh, not great. Yeah, especially in the recent, you know, this is 1966, but especially just in the United States, the recent declassification of some documents like video documents that Navy has released, the U.S. Navy. And it's like we can very clearly see UFOs and Mm -hmm. the pilots are very clearly stating that they see an unidentified flying object so we know that they exist we know that the military knows that they exist the military knows that we know they know yeah the existence so it's Mm -hmm. like this is clearly a cover-up in my opinion I think this is a cover-up yes I agree with you it does feel like a cover-up it doesn't mean that it is necessarily alien but it means that something happened that they don't want people to know about. Yeah. And to me, it's almost more frightening to think of a, of a government 
having secrets like this what the big fuck were that they are doing? their own yes then something an extraterrestrial coming by to be like what's go what is this place seriously look at that quantum leap right there <laughs> something that i found very interesting in doing my research was that the Westall 66 incident wasn't the only UFO sighting that happened around this time and place. Yes, and I love it when we are talking flaps. Flaps and waves, baby, all mm-hmm. day, every day. Yes. Put that on a fuck up bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people would be like, I think she's a swinger. <laughs> I actually saw the <laughs> I saw the best bumper sticker the other day and it said, we'll break for mushrooms. Oh my God, that's incredible. I saw a personalized license plate today. I took a picture of it. I'm going to send it to you. Literally, it says B Hulk and the car is green. <gasps> I love it. Um, oh I, gosh. I think a five-year-old boy owns this car. Probably. And drives it. <laughs> I just saw that uh, sticker, that bumper sticker, and I thought, is there a more wholesome bumper sticker? I don't think so. Wait, you know it means like drug mushrooms though, right? Oh, I thought it meant for like... <laughs> fungi yeah like baby bell i don't think so what (laughs) did what what kind of car was it it was it was a hatchback oh it was drugs (laughs) (laughs) it was cybacillin (laughs) dang it i thought it was just listen i thought it was just a woman who loved to cook with mushrooms Oh, I do love mushrooms, the kind you eat. Oh my gosh. I, I seriously, I love mushrooms so much. The kinds you eat without psychedelic effects. Like if I ever became a non-meat eating human, I feel like mushrooms mm. could totally substitute that meat. I agree. It's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Eat more bugs, eat more mushrooms. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. <sighs> oh my God. I'm dying here. Okay. Let's get back to this flappy wave. <laughs> Wavy flap. So four days before the Westall 66 incident, a man saw something strange flying in the sky and took a photo. His name was Mr. Kibble, and he is kind of known for his interest in UFOs. His photo is currently circulating the internet. Uh, it's at the bottom of our notes, Cassie, if you want to check it out. I did. It's interesting. Um... If I were to describe what it looks like, and I will post this um, when I post the episode information um, on our social media, it kind of looks like a glob of liquid mercury. Yeah, I don't know. This is, to me, the least compelling Mm -hmm. evidence of the story. It also does look very much like a government weather balloon also. Two days before the Westall 66... There was another bizarre sighting. A man named Ron Sullivan in central Victoria was driving down a wooded road and saw a huge light display shining through the trees in the dark woods. He drove towards it. He said he was magnetized. Nope, I'm out. I don't like it already. I'm freaked out. I do not like it. It's like fire in the sky. Yeah, no, no thank you. So Ron Sullivan pulled himself out of it and drove away a little spooked as you would be yeah rightly so and he probably would have just dismissed his weird experience except after his incident a fatal car accident happened in the same spot (sighs) i believe it was two days later though so he reported it in case the strange lights had been what caused the accident 
that's pretty pr- pretty hard not I don't think that's a coincidence yeah um there's and there's more to that story but we'll come back to it in a little bit um we're gonna touch back on that one in particular so aside from the newspapers and military that were almost immediately on the scene and interested in the story another important figure became involved in this incredible sighting Atmospheric scientist and UFO researcher James McDonald decided to investigate the sighting as well. I began this portion of my research looking for a new single audio that had just been found of an interview from this event. I ended up finding 58 interview transcripts from when Dr. McDonald visited Australia in 1967. The original audio recordings, which were magnetic tapes, are held by the University of Arizona, where McDonald had been a a professor. And we'll provide the link to that Mm -hmm. um, PDF. So these interviews are truly fascinating, and I'm just going to stick with the ones pertaining to this case, or close enough, in my opinion. So Dr. McDonald did several interviews after the sighting, including with Mr. Kibble, the man with the UFO photo. Mm Mm-hmm. He also interviewed Mr. Greenwood, the science teacher, Mm -hmm. and Ron Sullivan from the Carr Forest incident. And in that interview, Ron Sullivan said that the headlight beams of his car, quote, bent around as if they had been attracted by some fantastic magnetic force. No, thanks. End quote. Nope. I'm not. I'm not into that. I don't want my headlights to do that. I don't want beams to bend around some magnetic force. No, 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 nope. I'm out. That is really terrifying. Cool. It's you think it's cool. I think it's terrifying. It's both. It is. Okay, it's both. Yeah. Sullivan's sighting became known as the Burke's Flat UFO incident, by the way. Oh, okay. So Mr. Greenwood's interview pretty much just restated what I described earlier, but I thought we, and by we I mean Cassie, would read it. <laughs> yes, of course. Thank you. McDonald had read the material on the case sent to him by Paul Norman and Peter Norris from the Victorian Flying Saucer Research Society, VFSRS. Greenwood said the incident started when a female student raced into his class saying, quote, flying saucer outside. She left the room and then 10, 5 to 10 minutes later, it was morning recess. So Greenwood went outside to look for himself. At the time, the school had 500 to 600 students, and more than half of them were on the school oval beside the school buildings. The object was to the south of the school and airborne at all times. It was a gray color against a blue-gray sky. At first, Greenwood could not see the object due to the lack of contrast against the sky. Students pointed it out to him. It appeared to be two-thirds of the length of a Cessna aircraft. It was cigar-shaped, elliptical-shaped, and at times bulged in the middle. It changed shape. He estimated that the electricity pylons visible in the distance were 300 meters away. From this, he estimated that the object was one kilometer at its furthest and 500 meters at its closest approach. Describing the object motions, Greenwood said that it hovered at times. It would accelerate and disappear from sight. Then someone would see it in another part of the sky. 
the object moved through an arc of perhaps 30 degrees, came towards them at times, and sometimes went up and down. In summary, it hovered, moved slowly, and at times fast. When he first sighted the object, it was on its own. Then he saw one aircraft approach the object, then it moved to another part of the sky very rapidly, and the aircraft followed. It seemed to be playing a, quote, cat and mouse with the plane. Altogether, there were five aircrafts visible. Morabibin Airport later said there was no aircraft in the vicinity. The airport is about eight kilometers away. If you ever go to the airport, there are always aircraft in the air. At one stage, the object disappeared behind a row of tall pine trees that were located about 600 meters away. Later, Greenwood and another staff member, Claude Miller, went over to the trees but saw nothing unusual. Thank you, Cassie. And like I said, I know that was just kind of reiterating what we've already talked about, but I love interviews so much I wanted to include it, include it and I just feel like it's a really nice, you know, more concise version of what's going on than, than what we did, although we barely, we only had like seven sidebars, so I think we did a pretty good job staying on topic, Cassie. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> there was also another sighting the same month and only a couple of hours away. Mm-hmm. Which just pushes our whole flap wave, flappy wave idea even further in my mind. And I didn't read all of the 50 interviews. I was just trying to look for the names that I recognized. Right. But um, this one also stuck out to me because I love a military sighting story. Yes. And like I said, it's so close. Same month, same year. Very, very close. This is a wave. This this has to be a wave. It has to be. It's, it's something. So you want to read this one as well, Cassie? Of course. I'm at your service. Sighting date, April 24th, 1966. Sighting time, 2 a.m. Location of sighting, Pakapaniol Army, Army Base, Victoria, Australia. Excuse me for butchering that. Duration of sighting, minutes. Okay, that's very unspecific, but that's fine. <laughs> Witnesses, 23 unidentified Australian Army personnel. Summary of the sighting. The unidentified reporter of the audio recounts a meeting he attended with his friends, who was a barrister, which I believe is a lawyer, and an acquaintance of his friend, a captain in the Australian Army Legal Corps. At this meeting, the captain stated that, quote, on the 24th of last month, the captain was an observer at Puckapunniol Army Base. The captain had been observing seven Centrion tanks on the firing range at 2 a.m. in the morning of the 24th. While the tanks were firing shells, a UFO rose from the ground about 700 yards away. The tanks immediately stopped firing and the personnel watched the UFO rise to about 60 to 70 feet in the air. The UFO appeared to stop and, quote, wobble slightly on its axis. The object was described as, quote, dome-shaped with a bluish metal reflecting the moonlight. 
there were 23 Army personnel observing the UFO. The UFO, quote, appeared to be damaged on one side as if bashed in around the rim. This looked like a poor panel beating job. In addition, the UFO appeared to have a patch of oil on the side that appeared damaged. The UFO moved towards the tanks and stopped 150 yards away, and an aperture opened on the UFO that appeared, quote, like the iris of a camera lens. At this time, one of the tank's gunners aimed the tank gun at the UFO and the iris, quote, snapped shut. The UFO then moved to flank the tanks on the left 150 yards away. The personnel described the UFO as being 45 to 50 feet in diameter and moving at the speed of Cessna spotting aircraft that are used by the Army. The UFO moved away to the west and appeared to be deliberately avoiding the position of the tank gun's aim. The next day, April 25th, they located a depressed area about 10 feet across, assumed to be in the location where the UFO had risen from, but not stated in the audio, with traces of oil, possibly from the tanks. The reporter makes a comment that he is inclined to believe the report by the captain and that the veracity of the report is problematic due to the secrecy of the army. He further comments that most military services accept that UFOs exist. That is a very interesting account. Pretty cool. Yeah. I love uh, military UFO sightings or USO sightings. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before. And uh, I believe we both feel that military sightings of UFOs, it just, and we've talked about this, not that civilians, we don't take civilians seriously, but I mean, a high-ranking military officer has a lot more to lose when it comes to career Mm-hmm. Um, by reputation, reputation exactly. Mm-hmm. By talking about publicly a UFO, than say you know me, some random civilian, saying that I saw a UFO. You know, I don't have a, like a distinguished military career on at stake. Well, according to some of the things that I read at this time, it was basically made illegal for military personnel to openly talk about UFO sightings. Oh, <laughs> they could be fined. Oh, yeah. So that like heavy fines that lends to even more credibility. Yeah. In my opinion. Dr. James McDonald, the man who conducted all of these interviews, is an incredibly fascinating man. And I just want to touch on his story a little bit here. He was an American physicist at the Institute of Atmospheric Physics and a professor of meteorology at the University of Arizona in Tucson. He is best known for his research in UFOs, and he himself interviewed hundreds of UFO witnesses. I believe 500 UFO witnesses. Wow. He was in the Navy in World War II, a professor, a husband, and a father to six. Dang! In 1954, while driving through the desert with two other meteorologists, Dr. McDonald saw a UFO, and there sparked his interest in the subject. He was an early member of NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. 
and using his security clearance with the U.S. government, he also uncovered a number of well-documented UFO reports from the U.S. Air Force's Project Blue Book. He testified before Congress during the UFO hearings of 1968. He gave a very famous talk called Science in Default that I am going to watch. Mm -hmm. He was a scientist first and foremost and made statements that he believed only 1% of UFO sightings were true unknowns. But, and I'm inclined to believe him here, it probably is only 1%, but Mm -hmm. 1%, as he said, it's enough. If we don't know what 1% of all of these sightings are, that's enough. I mean, even 0.01%, it's just, that means there is like one, Mm -hmm. one, one out of these 500 were true UFOs. That is enough. One is enough. Yeah. It seemed he really wanted transparency and research regarding UFO phenomena. Like, he just wanted people to be honest. Don't downplay it. Don't lie about it. Mm-hmm. He didn't want people... He didn't He didn't appreciate the kind of covering up that was happening a lot, which he saw. Like, he really just wanted to approach this subject. From what I got, from what I got out of what I read about him, it seemed he really wanted people to approach the subject of UFOs with the same seriousness and research that you would approach anything like Mm -hmm. the scientific mind that he had I think that's what he wanted you know right and I think the more transparency that you have in the UFO research field the less you're gonna get those people that say they saw something when they didn't because Mm -hmm. if you seriously investigate it and you're transparent you're gonna find the, the truth yeah And it leaves less room for people to fill in the gaps, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I plan on reading his biography because this is just barely skimming the the surface. And I I did just skim the surface. So I can't speak to all of his lectures, books, and beliefs, obviously. Like, every time I get excited about somebody, I'm afraid I'm going to find out something, like, terrible. terrible. Mm -hmm. Because that's the world we live in now. Yeah, it happens more often than not. (laughs) Yeah. Just when I read on his Wikipedia... It seemed he had a fascinating career and life, and he seemed fully immersed in the study of UFOs, which I appreciate. Sadly, in 1971, Dr. James McDonald died by suicide. Oh, man. R.I.P. Dr. McDonald. Colleagues described him as, quote, a man of great integrity and great courage. He was loved and admired by a great many people. He made a lasting impact on many facets of atmospheric sciences. And he will be missed much more than we now realize. His biography is called Firestorm, Dr. James E. McDonald's Fight for UFO Science by Anne Dreffel. That was the one listed on Wikipedia. I'm not sure if there's another one, if you want to learn more about him, which I do. Yeah, me too. So thank you, Wikipedia, for that little side quest. But yeah, I just, I, learning about the different people that got, they got really invested in studying strange phenomena or ufos or all these different things in a time where it was actually really difficult to do it Mm -hmm. to me is fascinating in itself even if the phenomena isn't real the people that will put their careers and everything else on the line because they truly just have that thirst for knowledge Mm -hmm. i just love that i love the passion (laughs) you know how people always say oh nobody's more passionate than a physicist or meteorologist (laughs) one of my favorite sayings the passion of a meteorologist Mm -hmm. 
Match it. It's unmatched. It's unmatched. It's fire in the sky, baby. (laughs) That's what you call it. That's what you call a sexy meteorologist, fire in the sky. Okay, so my main point, aside from my own like weird horniness about it, uh, my main point going into that deep, deep dive was that people in the UFO community took notice of this sighting. And it's always hard in cases like this because the story isn't concrete. Like we said, was it 100 or 300 witnesses? Was it one or three UFOs? Were the government officials in black or military wear? And that's just the nature of this kind of phenomenon, unfortunately. Memory is fallible, and 50 years of time passing won't help that at all. And there's also just so much to unpack in that story. So now, to be fair, let's look at the other not-so-fun-at-a-party side of the coin. (laughs) Okay? Party pooper alert. (laughs) We're going to cover the skeptics. All right. Um, I got information from a few sources. One of them is a podcast, I believe, called the Skeptoids Podcast, um, where he kind of fairly covers the both sides of the story. Um, we'll link everything, as I said. And I, I apologize if that's not the name of the podcast, but I believe it was. As always, uh, as is always the case in these stories, the all-too-common weather balloon has been blamed for the sighting that day. <laughs> In an article by the Herald Sun, a weather balloon was scheduled to launch that day in April 1966, and government officials were particularly concerned with damage caused by said balloons if they were to land in a suburban area, hence the quick action to cover up, as it's been called. I mean, that's valid. That's that's valid. I could see people, I could see the government covering up if they had like a huge, dangerous balloon crashing on like a school child huge dangerous balloon should we be flying those over suburban areas probably not that's why they they had to cover that's why they covered it up but if you scroll down there's a picture of the balloon doesn't look like a ufo looks like a big balloon Mm -hmm. did you look at it Mm -hmm. i i saved some pictures on our shared notes so me and cassie could kind of have the same visuals listener so sorry about that but uh, we'll post all the pictures on instagram but yeah i wanted to look at the weather balloons because i'm like does it do they make the weather balloons look like flying saucers? Because that'd be kind of funny it if they were be. just fully shaped like a flying saucer. Listen, where is the government meteorologists that have a sense of humor? That's what I want. That sexy, sexy meteorologist <laughs> who also is hysterical. That's all I want <laughs> in this life. That's not too much to ask for. Come on. Get with it. The one kind of issue with that is when researchers went through the reports that documented balloon launches for 1966, the memo reporting on the four launches for that year was missing. So technically, the evidence they were looking for is gone. Hmm. Just like the film reel, this is gone. It's like 1966, they're like, let's just act like this year didn't even fucking happen. Just scrap everything (laughs) from that year all around. Weather balloons, news, everything, just whatever what if okay so but what if what if it was like the head of the meteorology department his like scorned lover just went in to just cause a little bit of chaos and took like random Mm -hmm. files Mm -hmm. just to you know like how you go into your ex-boyfriend's house and take like just his left shoes and then throw them out your car window Mm -hmm. or just all the remote controls exactly yeah i mean I know how meteorologists are. (laughs) They are, you know, great lovers, Mm -hmm. hysterical, Mm -hmm. but also 
I mean, you can't tie them down. No. They have so many spurned lovers out there. They are wild horses running free. Mm-hmm. Good luck trying to get him to commit or her. Yeah, good luck trying to hold that meteorologist down. <laughs> For starters, you'd have better luck converting a rock star. You would have better luck holding a fucking weather balloon down. <laughs> <laughs> so also, uh, skeptics claim that there was actually no cover-up ever. Oh. The principal said in 1966, basically, that too much publicity and press and phone calls and sexy meteorologists <laughs> were disruptive to school functioning. Which I can agree with. Fair that. enough. <laughs> I mean, it probably was a lot. And also, his children were interviewed on the dock, and they pretty much said, like, our dad was a square, hated the 60s, he would not have been into this. Not down to clown, as the kids say. <laughs> uh, yeah, they did say that. They said he was very straight laced, straightforward, and would not have been, like, into a UFO thing at all. Okay. Another debunking is that as far as the burnt grass goes, and I only heard this on that podcast I mentioned, um, he said that he had read in an article that the farmer who owned or who took care of that field pretty much just burnt the land himself to keep people off his property. I'm, because I'm sorry. too many people were like into the UFO swarming his shit, and he's like, I know what to do. He never thought of a fence. He just said, let's light him on fire. Well, I think people were just climbing the fence. Oh, okay. As kids do. But I don't really think, I mean, or I don't know. I mean, sometimes you have to burn your land or till your land or do different farm things. It does just seem like strange typing. It just doesn't seem logical. Like, I would leave the land as it was so if people came and saw, oh, there's nothing here. Yeah, that would make more sense. Just if there's nothing there, you don't have to do anything because they'll come be like, it's a field. It's just grass. No big yeah. deal. But then they go there and they say, oh, well, these strange burn marks. Yeah, that, yeah, you're right. He should have actually, if there was nothing there, he should have just done crop circles and become, like, popular. Exactly. That's, I mean, boring. <laughs> Some real assholes dismiss it as just kids making up stories or somehow blame it on the 60s counterculture as if 13-year-olds in science class were, like, Let's get high and make up stories. I only mention this because um, a couple of the people on the dock and in different interviews that were, you know, have been interviewed over the years. It's kind of the same group. You can you can find all of their names online. Um, it's kind of the same for handful of people. Mm -hmm. But they have gotten a lot of backlash. People joking around like, oh, it was the 60s. Oh, you, of course you saw stuff. We all did. And but they were like 12. So it wasn't really the scene that you might think is going to, you know, it's not what you think of when I you mean, think of the it 60s counterculture. I mean, it it wasn't like at Burning Man, you knobs. Like it was yeah. a it was a grade school, yeah, full of children and teachers. Like this wasn't a bunch of fucking desert ravers high on mushrooms. Like, okay, yeah, that might be a good point. Like, okay, everybody was high on psychedelics and they all like yeah. collectively saw a flying saucer. The guy with the bumper sticker you saw. Yes. Like that guy. If he saw it, then yeah. He was a random that. hippie driving a hatchback <laughs> looking for mushrooms. <laughs> so yeah, that debunking is kind of silly, but there are two that are more um 
believable debunkings. Okay. So some some skeptics claim that the nearby Royal Australian Air Force was doing an exercise using a nylon windsock, which I guess is an exercise tool. I guess it's like attached to one airplane and other planes kind of chase it. I tried to find video of this and could not find video of it, and I'm not really sure why. It was very frustrating to me. There was a nearby Air Force base, and skeptics say that the Air For- the Australian Air Force were doing an exercise, and that's why Mr. Green described what he saw as a cat and mouse game. Okay. Well, I- I'm I'm all for a debunk. Like, I love both sides of the coin, totally. I think it's a Sagittarian in me, but nylon windsock, get out of here. Yeah, and he called it something on the recording and I could not find it I literally looked for I looked for like an hour it was really irritating I mean I guess that could that seems plausible it really does seem I mean the top two of those the weather balloon and the nylon windsock um training whatever it is Mm -hmm. does does seem plausible if you'd never seen that before a bunch of kids seeing that I mean yeah okay the weather balloon thing to me sounds like total bullshit because it just looks like a hot air balloon to me. But the the windsock thing, that to me is a real piece of evidence mm-hmm. that I could see as a as an honest way of debunking this. Yes. The other thing that I believe could very honestly be debunked is the photo that Mr. Kibble took. Um, people believe that he took two photos and kind of laid them together and then took a picture of the two photos. Oh, okay. Well, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't rule that out either when it comes Mm -hmm. to kind of photo evidence like that. And look, Mr. Kibble seems like a nice enough man, but he was previous a UFO enthusiast. So that's a little. Yeah, I don't know if that started before or after this happened, but either way, it became his jam jam. Okay. (laughs) Also, the thing he post took a picture of it look does not look aerodynamic at all. I'm telling you, it looks like a blob of liquid uh, mercury. It's like too thick. <laughs> I don't know why I said it so sexual. It does. It is like very blobby. It's like it's like a half a circle. Yeah, I don't know. So of all the debunking, I could see that being debunked, and I could see the um, Air Force situation, the Air Force exercise. Yeah. So, you know, some of the debunking, like I said, like people saying, oh, it's the 60s, and people, I just, that that's just stupid to me. Um, the weather balloon, th- like I looked up weather balloons because I was like, are they silver and and cigar shaped or something? Like, I, but I just don't see it. I don't know. I don't know. Well, also, there is no proof. See, the weather balloon thing is there is no proof that they had a launch of a weather balloon that day. So maybe the reason it's missing is the paperwork in the file said it wasn't launched that day. Mm, No spurned lover. Mm. Basically, what skeptics boil it down to is a weather balloon coinciding with an Australian Air Force exercise in conjunction with preteens that are quick to follow along in a scenario full of excitement and attention. Uh, and maybe a spurned lover? Yeah, I, definitely a spurned lover is involved, for it's, sure. It's, we don't know if it's involved with the UFO. We don't know if it's involved with the men in black, Mm-mm. the military. Mr. Greenwood himself <laughs> could be the spurned lover. Who knows? <laughs> I feel like he is. Actually, (laughs) Mr. Greenwood is the star of this story. 
<laughs> Regardless of what happened on that day in 1966, the people that claim they saw something truly seem to believe it. One woman did hypnotic regression to push her memory. Many people were interviewed for the Westall 66 documentary in 2010. Furthermore, several former students went on the news and discussed their experience in 2016, which marked the 50-year anniversary. It was pretty compelling, and it's available on YouTube. Also, 50 years is just a long time to tell a lie. I mean, why bother? Give it up. It's, there's no point after 50 years. Now, close to the spot where the UFO or UFOs were spotted all those years ago, stands a UFO-themed playground for kids. A nod to the incredible story of the Westall 66. Yes, it is pretty cool. I we'll put pictures on our on our social media. It is really cool what they did with the Grange. It, mm-hmm. it, it's look that that community has a good sense of humor and they have enough self awareness to laugh at themselves, which I appreciate. Yeah, it, light up UFO park. Mm-hmm. Give me a freaking break! And then they post it with the little X Files theme music in the back yep (laughs) i love it i thank you so much for doing this story this was fascinating i think it's good to hear both sides Mm -hmm. i do too i mean we obviously we don't know what happened every anything could be a lie Mm -hmm. it could all be a lie but it could all be true it could all be true it could all be true out of the mouths of babes isn't that what they say i thought they say i smell a fish They say that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. This was such a fun episode. Kind of. Now, I wasn't like scared of the Westall 66 sighting, per se. But the one, Mm -hmm. I forget the name now, but the one in the woods. Mr. Sullivan. With the headlights bending and the magnetic force field. Um. Oh, it had a specific sighting and I can't remember and I'm such an asshole for it. That one was scary to me. Yeah, why why would the light bend? I don't know. Maybe it's the cover of darkness makes everything more scary. I know, but why would the light actually bend towards the other light? I don't How- know. That's so creepy and I hate it and I hate everything about it. <laughs> spooky yeah i just feel like nothing good happens driving at night in like deep woods oh no i mean that's the beginning of every horror story ever mm-hmm. you there's so many things you could run into like a homicidal hitchhiker a, a you know a bloodthirsty cryptid extraterrestrial mm-hmm. a freaking ghost haunting that stretch of road literally anything a rabid raccoon those those are scary those are scary i mean probably the least on your list but in the world there's they are a scary thing yes have you seen those things i've seen videos they're very aggressive they have thumbs there's nothing that will stop them (laughs) right in your eyes (laughs) (laughs) ah this was a fun one i love doing ufo stories and i know it's like you never know what's true I'm sure the day we post this, everything will come out and they'll be like, we've been lying. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably what will happen. Yeah, it turns out the girl who fainted and hauled off in an ambulance, never seen again. They took her to their leader and she now is the leader of an extraterrestrial world. 
Oh my God, let's start that rumor. <laughs> no, that poor woman. She probably just didn't want to be associated because she's probably had PTSD. Yeah, or like got sick mm-hmm. from being too close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can I might I might even faint if I saw a UFO. I'm not sure. I think I'd freeze. Yeah. Oh my gosh, can you even imagine? I don't even know. It's like one of those things. You think you know how you would react, and then when it comes down to it, you mostly do the total opposite of what you think that you would do. So I'd start moving really, really fast. Oh my gosh. Uh, Like karate chop hands (laughs) over and over really, really fast. (laughs) It would be scarier than I think Mm -hmm. people realize. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. It would be much scarier. I think I would do the free. I think I would freeze. I don't know. Ooh, maybe I just jet it out of there and I'd be the first one killed. I don't know. I thought you would just flirt. Yeah, I could. I what is that? The fawn? It's like freeze, bite, fawn. Fawn is a new one, I think. Fight or flight, and then freeze is one, and then fawn is the fourth one that they've added. And that's where you like try to placate. I would just try to placate them and probably just flirt. Also, nobody ever saw anything in the craft. I know. So it could have just been an unmanned vehicle. Like on an unaliened. Yeah. An unaliened vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Nobody did see anything. Maybe except we don't know. We haven't heard from the little girl who was who disappeared. I I watched the um, segment they had on the news in 2016 and it did seem like she disappeared by her own volition or at least her parents Mm-hmm. Choice. Yeah, it was. I, I think it was her parents were like, we're getting the fuck out of here. I knew we should have never moved to Australia. Yeah. I knew this was going to happen. Too many spiders. Kangaroos, spiders, now this. Mm-hmm. We're out of here. Out of here. <laughs> okay, well, that terrible accent was a great place to leave everybody mm-hmm. off. That keep a real good taste in their mouth. Keep that in your mind till next episode. <laughs> Marinate on that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and joining us for happy hour on this fun, fun episode. Yes. Thank you so much. So on that note, don't forget to love yourself, lock your doors, and listen to your gut. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. And cheers to sexy meteorologists. Yes. We see you. We see you. You're on our radar. Oh, that was a meteorologist joke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we should start that dating app. Oh, yes. Oh my God, we're geniuses.